night and the winter's retreat continues and the next uh, observance night will be called Maga Puja it's the full moon of February the one of the major uh, celebratory days in our tradition. And so we have a tradition uh, that we use, like the Pamajaroka, using the Pali request to uh, give a, a a talk or teaching. We use this ancient language Pali and uh, got these ties to uh, to the uh, to this particular form tradition uh, with all its uh, benefits and deficits. Like when we're dealing with forms, conventions, you recognize that that uh, they have their, they, that none of them are perfect. They are, you know, they're merely expedient means. Especially when you're, when you're dealing with a tradition as old as this one, and uh, it gets, you know, the traditions accumulate through time all kinds of additions to them. So that the uh, and they are highly affected by the various cultures and conditions that uh, they are established in. So my strong connection is with the Thai forest tradition, Northeast Thailand. Uh, Ajahn Chah's uh, style. So just pointing out the, uh, what you know, tradition is uh, is a is a convention or a means that uh, carries teachings and forms from one generation to the next. They're not ends in themselves, uh, but they they do have their purpose. The danger is always attaching to tradition, being 
stuck in a particular form and not being able to see beyond it. So they, uh, we, we become sectarian then, or cultish, uh, when, we, when we just attach to the tradition alone. But the Buddha's uh, teaching, of course, is the awakened awareness. Uh, when the Buddha was alive, I assume there wasn't any tradition then. That, you know, he was the the origin of it. So, then 2,547 years later, we find ourselves talking about the the great sage. Uh, Gautama the Buddha, and the uh, we refer back to the scriptures in in uh, Varanasi and in uh, you know in Gaya and all these names that uh, that uh, are places in India. And so when we go to these places in modern day, we find, you know, the, the in Buddha Gaya, the, which was, uh, you know, for years almost forgotten. Now it's been revived as a kind of Buddhist uh, uh, sacred place. Uh, in uh, Saranath, which is outside of Benares, the remnants of uh, the stupa and the monasteries that were established there, Go to Sava, Savati, Savasti, and the you can observe the foundations of the old Jandavada monastery, and and uh, and then we read about the the cities and life in India that we can glean from the uh, Pali scriptures. So that's history, and we remember we can. We can speculate, we can uh, accumulate all kinds of information. And then getting to the real essence, the, the, the uh, core of the teaching, the heart of Buddhism. And then it's pointing at you as an individual, at your heart. They're not talking about some abstraction, some kind of ethereal essence or some abstract possibility of essence. But uh, the whole point of awareness, isn't the mindfulness, is awakenness, is being able to uh, learn from yourself, learn the Dhamma from this formation here, this physical form this these mental conditions that arise and cease. Now I've always found it interesting to reflect on the the um, being the center of the universe. Now this can sound like a real kind of egotistical trip <laughs> or form of megalomania, but uh, not putting it in the context of me as a person, because the personality is certainly not the center of anything. But the, uh, 
but the, uh, in terms of experience right now, you know, just reflecting, contemplating the existence as I am experiencing it through this form and con this conscious form at this moment is, this is the center point, isn't it? For me, anyway. <coughs> and then the universe surrounds this point. You know, on the level of conventional reality, I can see myself as just another human being in the human population of the planet, another monk in the Sangha, another, you know, on the conventional level, that's also, you know, the how we operate uh, on the level of uh, society and and population on the on the conventional plane. But the existential reality of this moment is that contemplating from this center point. Now you can see I'm not claiming this on the, as some kind of egotistical uh, statement because that would uh, that's, that's not uh, you know to claim it but to recognize. Just begin to notice the way it is being a a conscious individual form in the universe is like this. If I interpret it on a personal level, then I see myself in in more conventional ways as being a senior monk or Ajahn Sumato or being a citizen of Britain or being a member of the human population of the planet or all the different uh, conventional identities and positions uh, that one uses in, in daily life. But in terms of reflecting on the way it is at this moment, the, the, the Bhutto or the awakened conscious using our conscious, this conscious re, uh, moment, this reality of this moment with awareness with, and with wisdom, Panya, then uh, it's, uh, th this is I recommend for you to try out, begin to just, uh, instead of operating from the conventional position of being uh, uh, somebody who has to practice meditation in order to realize the ultimate reality, uh, that's uh, start operating from the, the center point of just not claiming it through perceptions of any sort, of self or non-self, but just trusting in the awareness and checking it out. So when I do this, then I just, the sense of the all around me, isn't it? There's space that has no limit. <coughs> There's uh, and consciousness, no limit to it. Unless I, you know, put a limit into consciousness and then, and then uh, operate from that uh, identity or that convention or that perception. 
Now this is what we call reflecting on the way it is. Awakening to the real, to reality, the real world, or the, or the real Dhamma. So in the reflective, uh, reflecting on the way it is, many, I remember trying to teach, uh, or I've talked about uh, reflection a lot, and of course that's what, what the whole point of Winter's Retreat is about, is learning to, to uh, use your reflective capacities. They, uh, intellectual capacities are different, isn't it? It's more... Uh, you, you start with an idea and then you deduct from that premise in a logical way. You start from a, from a position or an idea and, and then the, 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 the logical sequence follows from that. From reflecti reflective intelligence, it's coming not from a perception of anything, but an imminent awakening state, a natural state of attention in the present that isn't, you know, isn't, can't be identified as anything, but to be recognized or realized, to, to learn to value this ability to be here and now, to, to, be, to recognize this natural state of attention, of awakened awareness, is just like this. And that's why uh, the attitude is, is no longer one of trying to, to get samadhi or trying to get something you, that maybe you've had in the past that you'd like to have again. Or because sometimes in meditation, you know, as you practice and you have experiences and insights, and then you remember, when I was on last winter's retreat, I really got into this sublime state, which I keep trying to get on this retreat, but I'm not getting anywhere. What's wrong? I got it last winter's retreat. This <laughs> because one is, is imagining a state or remembering uh, some previous uh, state of that you enjoyed and, and that you'd like to have again. And that, so that's not uh, mindfulness and wisdom operating, that's just memory uh, and operating from the sense of uh, wanting something you remember. Or maybe you haven't had, maybe you don't even know what an insight moment is. Maybe you haven't had any real insightful experiences through meditation yet. But you imagine, you have a kind of an idea that, that it's something or other. So you, you would like to, uh, you know, you can create an image or a perception of, of what you think might be that and then aim for it. But this is all attachment to conditions again, isn't it? To either a memory of the past or some abstract idea or creation of your that you've made in the present, where 
awareness in the present is the is no law is not a memory, not operating from remembering, uh, you know, trying to remember a past moment, but learning to recognize this reality. So being in the center, the center point is here and now. And for each one of us, the center point is, you know, your heart, putting it in more uh, kind of uh, uh, poetic terms, not your physical blood pumping heart. But the pre because this is where you experience life, you know, from the time you were born to this very present time to the time your body dies. Let's face it, we have to experience life from here. You know, the way experience, way the, the conditioned realm impinges on this form, on this, on this conscious form. And the various uh, reactive patterns that that it has in regarding to deal with with impingement, with phenomena, with experience. So we we all develop <coughs> ways of reacting and dealing with with this impingement from uh, the time we're born. Isn't it? We develop all kinds of of ways of dealing with pleasure, pain, fear, desire. The, what what we see, what we hear, smell, taste, touch, with the conditions of, of our family, you know, the state of our parents and the and the society that we live in, all of these impinge on us, you know, and condition us in many ways to interpret experience in a traditional or in a certain way and so with certain identities. So that's the conditioning that we acquire and if we don't uh, see through that, if we can't reflect on that conditioning and put it in, its, in, a, in, in a context of Dhamma, then we, we are caught in just the uh, momentum of habits. So we, we just develop habits, some good habits, bad habits, neutral habits, but we tend to just keep repeating, operating through these habits till we die. <coughs> so then awakening, then, the awakened state is, is, is not a habit, you know, it's not, but it is a natural state that's available to all of us here and now. So awakening is is what the the whole uh, is the essence of the Buddhist teaching. Now the the very imperative. I always like to that when somebody asks me what is the Buddhist teaching all about. It's about you know I can can you somebody asks me could you uh, describe the Buddhist teaching the essence of the teaching in one sentence 
And I said, I can do it with one word. <laughs> Awake. <laughs> so that's as uh, simple as that. Uh, it's, uh, and, the, and the word Buddha, Bhutto, is, is, is the Pali word for that. Awaken, you can translate awakened one. The awakened, it's consciousness with awareness. Now we can be conscious, you know, still be not aware, not awake. You know, so a completely crazy person, totally lost in, in the most absurd delusions, is still a conscious being, isn't it? It's not he or she, it's not uh, unconscious yet, maybe sometimes. <laughs> but even when they are, and you know, operating in, w in the state of consciousness that we recognize, it's it's uh, it's bombarded with delusions and attachment to those delusions. So actually, you know, we're living in a world most of whose members are crazy anyway, <laughs> including ourselves. <laughs> so I mean, there's a certain level of craziness that we call normal behavior. And then when and then a certain level of craziness that we call abnormal, and then we, we get very threatened by uh, people who, who, whose craziness exceeds what we call the accepted level of madness. So like in invading Iraq and that is that seems to be a level of madness that, that most people found normal behavior. War is, uh, you know, we can kind of understand that uh, because we, war is very much what we expect from life. And life for us is a war, usually, in a, in the inside yourself, a battle from within. You know, trying to control, trying to to uh, get rid of the bad ones and kill the villains and try to, uh, you know, to try to hold on to, to the good ones. So, in a reflective in, in ability to reflect on the way it is, uh, it means that it's, it's like this witnessing or watching, observing from this position of the Bhutto or the awakened, awakened consciousness that is awake to the experience uh, of here and now. And that's why so many of our, in meditation, so much of our uh, experience is oftentimes very confusing, emotionally confusing, or mm. it's not clear, it's not precise, it can change very quickly, or uh, you're caught in all kinds of, of conflict, internal conflicts with your, with your uh, intellectual uh, conditioning uh, versus your emotional habits. I remember, you know, just what a 
hard line my intellect would take on my emotional states. Like this tend to be very self-disparaging. Uh, I'm just speaking from for myself, from what I remember of my, you know, dealing with meditation was a tendency to be very critical of myself. <coughs> so this was, uh, this was, you know, I had a, a certainly, uh, you know, the intellect was developed enough to be able to criticize the emotional uh, uh, experiences I could be having in the present. And, and, and I found emotional experience very unsettling because emotions aren't clear, aren't precise, aren't accurate experiences. You know, they're not reasonable or even sensible. So, so it's easy to judge them and kind of even fear them or despise them. Like a, tot a person totally attached to rationality oftentimes despises emotion, either in oneself or in somebody else. And when somebody starts getting emotional, we can feel very, you know, threatened by that. What are we supposed to do? You know, be reasonable. You know, snap out of it. Don't, don't be like that. Because uh, uh, emotional experience is, uh, what, what can you do with it? How do you respond to it? <laughs> so we can, you know, drug them up. Is usually in modern take take a lot of tranquilizers or antidepressants or do something to to kind of make the mind dull again. So it, it doesn't get you know don't get into a kind of embarrassing emotional states or irrational. Uh, conditions operating through your consciousness and you can kind of damp it all down, dumb yourself down with, a, with drugs and chemicals. And then you can appear kind of normal again, acceptable in modern society. But recognize that the realm we're living in is a feeling realm. I mean, with this this experience we're having as a sensitive fo conscious form is about sensitivity, isn't it? It's uh, you know it's a continuous uh, challenge because from birth until death, this this body and these senses, this mind are going to be uh, impinged on in some way. And our reactions to that impingement, you know, can, are highly conditioned. Whether we, we're open to reality or we're, we're operating from uh, a fixed position or just the momentum of habits based on ignorance and fear. So in waking up, then this is this is the this isn't asking anybody to do the impossible, is it? We're not waking up is not 
a kind of advanced state that only kind of uh, special gifted meditators achieve. It's, it's a natural state. It's not nothing special. But if all our effort uh, of our life is based on trying to control our emotions and, and trying to interpret and, and describe experience only through the rational mind, then, of course, we, you know, we, we can't get beyond that. We're kind of stuck in, in these uh, fixed habits. And we experience life through reactions, <coughs> habitual reactions to impingement, <coughs> which is quite depressing, really. You know, especially as you get older, you, you know, you get this, it gets uh, when you're young, it everything's fairly new, and you're you're learning, and your for your habits are forming. But when you're my age, you've been through it all for so many times. And uh, if there was no way out, there's nothing that one just had to kind of just be this 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 helpless victim of sensory impingement till I dropped dead. Then I'd be probably quite depressed. Because in <coughs> in in old age, you know you. You really uh, are facing death becomes much more uh, immediate than say even five years ago, reaching seventy like you know just that that perception of this body is seventy years old now it's an old body and it's been a He's been pumping blood and doing all that stuff for 70 years. It's a long time, isn't it, for, for this kind of uh, formation. And it keep wondering when it's going to start really showing signs of wear. You know, you don't know what, what you can look on the external surface and see the, the sagging flesh and the wrinkles and all that, but Internally, you know, I keep wondering when I go have physical checkup what they're going to discover. They take x-rays and use ultrasound and high-tech equipment to see what's going on inside, which I can't see. <coughs> but definitely one feels that, that it's wearing out, you know, this, and that's what it's supposed to be doing. It's not and it doesn't have the the vigor of youth or even middle age anymore. <laughs> so death is is much more interesting to me. I contemplate, meditate on just that perception of death a lot because it, you know, that's what's my future, that's the big moment in the future. That's the certainty, isn't it, of, uh, that we all have, whether we're young or old, is that we're going to die. The body is going to die. 
So then, also, the, we are the owners of our karma, heir to our karma, born by, of our karma, related to our, our karma, by supported by our karma, by my karma, uh, and so forth. And we reflect on that, on karma. So the, the karma, the, the hab emotional habits, the, the uh, reactions that, that I have to impingement, to experience here and now. So observing this, you know, from this position of the being in the center and not being a person, not being, not having a name even. There's no Ajahn Sumedho in that, in awareness. Uh, Ajahn Sumedho arises and ceases. But in that pure state of awareness, there's no, there's no person. Nobody there. So, from there, then it, the, the identities, you know, because the persons do arise, you know, the various roles, reactions, habits uh, that arise and cease according to uh, what, what's happening, the conditions that arise in the present. So right now the condition is that Ajahn Sumedho is giving a Dhamma reflection on the high seat in the temple of Amaravati on the observance <laughs> The karmic conditions come together for this, this experience now. Then the then the uh, state of mind when I when I'm sitting up here, you know, the center of all your attention, the focus uh, of everybody listening to me, talking through a microphone. Then uh, reflecting on, on just the, the, uh, the conditions that I'm experiencing now. Now, the, having trained myself, having practiced for so many years, then actually the sense of emptiness is stronger than some, any kind of self-consciousness. It used to be the other way. When, when I'd be asked to give a Dhamma talk, and then you put yourself up in the high seat in front of everybody, everybody's focused on you, bring up incredible sense of self-consciousness. You know, so I'd look out and, what am I supposed to say, you know? What if I, you know, what do they think? Am I boring them? Do they like what I'm saying? <laughs> do they agree? They don't agree? Maybe <laughs> do I sound intelligent, or am I just making an idiot of myself? Uh, the self-consciousness uh, could easily uh, take over when you know, through, because that, that, that are the, those are the uh, habitual reactions of a self. So this is. Uh, but then, through addressing that, through using a situation like this, giving a Dhamma Desna, uh, giving a Dhamma talk, sitting in the high seat, and, and, and uh, 
reflecting, or however you want to express it, teaching the Dhamma, or reflecting, or sharing knowledge, or I mean, these are different ways of expressing. But anyway, uh, being able to to uh, sit up in front of others and uh, natter on for an hour. But then the, the awakened state, as, as I began to, to uh, observe, even use this situation, when you're right in the middle of a very, of a, of a situation that, bring, that would arouse uh, the ultimate in self-consciousness, I should think, when you're the center of attention, then how to use that with awareness. And of course, this I found very, uh, you know, because of the uh, training in Thailand, it was, uh, uh, I feel very grateful for that because uh, Ajahn Chah actually was, was very much one who, who encouraged us never to, never to plan anything you say. Never write out your 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 Dharma talk and then read it to the to the um, people, or to even plan your your kind of words of wisdom to share with the with the congregation. And the whole point was to to use situation. He said when I first when he first asked me to to do this. I, you know, I said, well, I don't know, what can I say? And he said, well, you, you've been practicing meditation several years now. You must have learned something from it. Share, tell people what you've learned. <laughs> uh, I thought maybe I should ex- kind of give uh, great explanations on the Four Noble Truths and, and uh, you know, the, the speak from the scriptures and quote from the experts. But that, Ajahn Chah didn't want me to do that. In fact, when I did do that once, he's, you know, he told me, he said, don't do that again. So I've never done it again. So in this, um, using the flow of one's life then, you know, say, my karma, I'm the owner of my karma, heir to my karma, in terms of just using these kind of terms, my karma has brought me into this position right now, sitting on the high seat. This is the karma. And so then this is the, what we call vipaka karma, of the resultant karma, having become a monk and, and, uh, and then, you know, going through the, the, the training and, the, and then the uh, meditation and then the tradition and the style of our particular, of the Thai forest tradition. <coughs> And so on the conventional level, operating from a conventional form, it's just not me, you know, Samedo up here, kind of 
you know, spreading propaganda and, and uh, showing off in front of you, but it is, it is, it's a reflective position. So when, you know, when, I, when I'm talking, I'm still reflecting. So even if I talk about myself, I don't mean this as some kind of, you know, obsession with, you know, uh, me as a, as, a, as a focus that you should all emulate or whatever, but it, it's more uh, a kind of re reflecting out loud from this position. And that way it's a, a sharing, because I can't reflect from your position. You know, I can't go around and say how you feel at this moment. I don't know. I can maybe make guesses here and there and even might get a few right, but to be honest, I, I don't know. So what I do know is, is this is the way it is here and now. I remember one of the most difficult uh, times I had was when I had to introduce the Dalai Lama at the Barbican. <laughs> that was uh, that was really painful. <laughs> because uh, you know, really carrying that through uh, when you're in the you know you're in a in a situation where, you know, thousands of people, you know, even film stars were there and kinds of important people and bodyguards and Dalai Lama and him. all the Buddhists of Britain that assembled and some had come from European countries and everywhere else just to, and here I'm, you know, I'm supposed to be introducing the Dalai Lama, he doesn't need an introduction. Well, what am I supposed to say? You know, got up there and managed to say something, but <coughs> but it did bring up uh, uh, some really, you know, I never felt so uncomfortable in front of a group as I did then. So I said, I'm never going to do that again. <laughs> But of course, the I could do it again, uh, you know, because the effort, the the momentum of the practice of emptiness, trusting solely in that, rather than in, you know, the the problem there was uh, I got intimidated by the fact the Dalai the perception of Dalai Lama and the 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 enormous you know thousands of people, and suddenly the the self consciousness and the this, uh, these habits uh, were seemed to be overpowering. Now, if you notice the behavior of the Dalai Lama, he doesn't. Nothing seems to bother him. He can. He seems totally relaxed, whether it's a million people around him. Or well, that's very impressive. It's it's you know this uh, wonderful example of of a conscious 
human being who is, isn't self-conscious. And yet he's, you know, he's got all these titles, uh, Dalai Lama and famous, world famous, uh, most impressive uh, Buddhist um, of the lot, you know, and you can put, you know, project all kinds of superlatives onto that. And just having a title like Dalai Lama, and I remember I heard it myself say one time, and when uh, he used to, when he'd come to England, then he'd invite uh, Buddhists to to have kind of more intimate meeting with him. So one one of these meetings, uh, somebody asked, "What is the what is the Dalai Lama? You know, what does it mean?" And and I was very curious about this, how he'd re- how he'd answer that question, because when you when you're given a title, it, it, it you know the way you relate to somebody with a title is very different than somebody without a title. <coughs> so and if you and even though Dalai Lama in English really doesn't mean anything to me, you know that's a Tibetan title. You know, no, you know, it wouldn't. You know, if you didn't have weren't warned ahead of time and know something about Tibetan terminology, you wouldn't. It'd just be nonsense, wouldn't it? Say, the Dalai Lama. What is it? Some kind of ape or <laughs> butterfly or what? <laughs> Could be anything. And then, then, uh, then the words Dalai Lama. I mean, you find out Lama is a kind of. Monk, Tibetan monk, and Dalai Lama is the is the top of it. That's the head. He reincarnated Lama. He's he, he had many previous incarnations, and and all this this kind of mystery uh, surround him. He's this very special kind of human being. He's not just like you or me, just you know ordinary kind of man or woman that got born to with ordinary parents and and that I mean, we don't have any titles, we're just common folk. But he, the reincarnated Lama, Tolku. And so the mind starts creating and the 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 way the thinking process works into, you know, these superlative he's very high, way above, uh very advanced, enlightened very wise <coughs> and totally unique. There's only one Dalai Lama, you know, at a time. There are never two. So, a totally unique kind of super form. But then his answer to the question was, he said, oh, forget all about that. That's just Tibetan culture. He said, and he said, I see myself as a bhikkhu. I thought, hmm, I like that. You know. That seems right. In the terms of, of even our tradition, uh, you know, a, a statement that, that is in line with, with the, with the uh, Buddha's teaching. The Buddha never talked about Dalai Lamas or anything like that. There was no Dalai Lama then. So... So, but but the bhikkhu then is 
the, is the is a word comes from the tradition. It's what they called uh, monks at that time in India. And and the and the word bhikkhu means you know isn't a high-ranking title about how advanced and 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 super one is. It's about the position one holds in the society as an alms mendicant. I'm I made myself into someone who depends on the kindness of others. You know, it is a deliberate, intentional decision. So I, it wasn't because of of just uh, hard luck, <laughs> a deliberate choice. So reflecting on the bhikkhu, not as a kind of pretentious title, it raised me above <coughs> the rest uh, of the population, but reflecting on this as an almsman, someone who depends, an individual being who depends on the kindness of others for basic necessity like food, shelter, robes, medicine. Not on, you know, other, you know, luxuries, but on basic requisites. So, on the, the, what we need to survive. So then the Dalai Lama was saying that's what he, that's what he is, rather than trying to explain in detail or convince us about uh, what a Dalai Lama is and that he's a very important special kind of monk and and on and on like that, which I was kind of expecting. <clears throat> but he didn't do that at all. So I found that uh, from that point on, I began to have a lot of respect and trust in Dalai Lama. <laughs> if he'd gone on to the other, I would have thought, oh, I don't know about all this. <laughs> you know, I'm being, you know, so, so reincarnated lamas and, and all these, uh, you know, that's fine. I have no problem. Uh, with that, but as an identity, you know, it doesn't work, you know, in terms of Dhamma. If I, you know, if I, if I, if I claim previous lives as some kind of, on, on that level of I, I was a, a previous kind of special being, because that would only be identity with another perception again, you know. Now, if I, you know, if I could, uh, my when before I became Sumato, I, my name was Robert. So, I can remember. I have memories of my previous life as Robert. I can still remember that. Aren't you impressed? <laughs> <laughs> but beyond Robert, I have no memory at all for anything. But even if I should, even if I should have previous life memories arise about being, you know, George Washington or... <laughs> It would still be a memory, wouldn't it? So what? You know, whether I was Robert or George Washington or, or uh, you know, uh, J 
Julius Caesar, whatever. It, it, you know, or just some ordinary bloke in, you know, a peasant on the farm uh, 3,000 years ago. It's still a memory. Memory in, in terms of Dhamma then arises and ceases and not so. So that, that, that memory then is, is seen in this reflective way, not, uh, not whether the memory is, is uh, you know, uh, just uh, yesterday or 50 years ago or 10 lifetimes ago. We're not interested in, in, in that anymore, but in, the, in, it, in, in its reality as Dhamma. Memory, sanya kanda arises, ceases. And then this, this awakened awareness, then um, this awakeness, awakened conscious reality of this moment is aware of this, of the of changing, of changingness, of a nature, of impermanence, of conditioned phenomena. <coughs> So in terms of getting back to the center point, this uh, here and now, you know, just just try that out. Just think of this. This is the center here and now of the of the universe, and uh, and recognize this that. that and this is this isn't just imagining it and it's taking these perceptions, but it's also bringing your attention to this reality. And then each one of us is experiencing life from this point. And then our particular karmas, we all have different conditioning, different you know qualities and that of conditioning to deal with in this present moment both physically and emotionally, intellectually, through memory and whatnot. So, so these, you know, each one of us is, is aware. <coughs> the awareness is a un- brings us in, 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 into a union, into a universe, a unity, that can reflect on the way things are, on the changing nature of conditioned phenomena. So in, in, and so when I say each one is working out their karma, uh, I'm merely pointing to this, to this reality that what, what you're feeling, experiencing at this moment in terms of its quality is, you know, is, is going to be different than some, what somebody else is. But the the common ground then is in the awareness. That's the point of union, of oneness. And then the uh, conditions can be whatever they are, you know, wonderful, terrible, right, wrong, uh, true, false, and whatever. But, 
pleasant, painful, but the the, the uh, awareness is is the is the stable point that we trust in. So when we talk about the still point, also think of a point usually as a very small thing. So when we talk about one point in this, we usually think of narrowing everything down to one tiny little dot. Or a point can include everything. Why not? You know, why does it have to be tiny little thing that excludes everything? So in one-pointedness, say, then then this uh, awareness is the point that includes everything. So from this point here, you know, what I- whatever impinges on this form, on its senses, and various reactions that habitual reactions to that impingement, the point includes all of it. You know, it's not it's not trying to dismiss any of it and ignore it, but to include it. So this recognition, right, this re- uh, realizing of this point that includes, is, is, this is, and I experience this through this, uh, what I call relaxed attention, opening, being present. Not trying to focus on a small little point anymore, but opening, you know, expanding the point to unlimitedness to infinity. And then, then, uh, then, then the awareness, the, you know, things arise and cease. We, we have, you know, experiences through this conscious moment. But our relationship to them is one of awareness. And reflection, noticing the changingness, the arising and cessation, the death, the the way things die in in your conscious moment, the way thoughts arise and cease, emotions, feelings, sensations, through the the come through the senses, through the mind, in in their various qualities arise and cease. And in that cessation, the reality of cessation, is the the peace, the liberation from the illusions that we create if if we're not aware. The way we create a whole world of illusions through the force of habit, through, through the karmic tendencies that we've acquired. So I offer this as your reflection for this evening.